Thanks for tuning in and watching this week's message. We don't want anybody to feel obligated to give just because they watch the message. But if you'd like to, we'd be most appreciative. We're a rather small group here in Colorado, but we seem to have a rather large online audience. And we'd love for you uh, to be a part of supporting it if, if you want to. You can do that by going to our website and pressing on the donate button. Thanks for watching. Good morning. For those who don't know me, I'm Frances Forgione, and I work here with Congregational Care. And today is the third week of a series of four that we're doing on mental health. And uh, last week, the first week, you heard Peter preach into this a little bit. And last week, we heard Michael, well, he was at the piano, <laughs> um, share his story. Oh, he's over there now. And um, today, we have a guy named Matt Schmitz coming to share his story with us. And uh, Matt, why don't you come on up here, and I'll introduce you. <laughs> uh, Matt is from Evergreen, Colorado. His parents are sitting back there and uh, here to support him today. Really grateful for you to be here. And um, grew up in Evergreen, and he went to the University of Colorado. He is a single dad of two boys. How old are your boys? Seven and five. Seven and five-year-old. And, five. and he loves being a dad because it lets him be a kid, is what he said. Um, a few other things. He says he likes to think of himself as an athlete, but since he can't make much money doing that, he is actually a CEO, COO of a company called Craters and Freighters. So uh, that's how he makes a living. But his yeah. passion is skiing, especially in Alaska, yes. and uh, mountain biking and golf. And his favorite movie is A Beautiful Mind. His favorite book is Huck Finn. And he doesn't like wearing shoes. So I guess we'll give him the grace to not wear shoes today. Maybe you took that verse serious about holy ground. And yes, I yes, didn't, I, but you did. I hate shoes. Okay. I hate <laughs> anyway, so Matt's going to share his story with us today. Can I say a quick prayer for Please. you? Okay. Well, Father, um, I pray for Matt. I just thank you for his heart and his story. And... I'm grateful that he is here and willing to just come and continue to speak into places where sometimes we don't want to share. And so, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say through him and his story. I pray that you would stir our hearts where you want it to be stirred and to connect and resonate in the places where we go, me too, I struggle with that too, or gosh, it's so great to hear somebody else share that, and I feel loved and accepted in that place. So, Lord, um, I pray that Max would just relax and have fun with this um, thing that he gets to do today with us, and I just pray a blessing in your spirit on his words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Francis. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I'm glad to be here. So, super glad to be here. I, and I'm not going to sit down, I promise, but I, um, I, this is a kind of a continuation, it's not kind of, it's a continuation of what Michael did last week. And I, Michael, you, you knocked it out of the park, although you stole, stole one of the stories I wanted to tell. Other than that, it was really good. And so I've been, um, I started, the, how I'm connected with Peter, I knew Peter back in 2003, I was going through a rough time, and we can talk about the rough time in a little bit, but it really, like, that, that was a place that I really felt um, connected to at Lookout Mountain, so I kind of followed Peter through his world, and that's how I wound up at the sanctuary. And I've always thought Peter was probably the best preacher I've ever heard. I, I, I mean, I love him. I think he just has God's heart. And then I heard Francis speak. And then I realized 
that Frances was a little bit better. I just like how she preaches. And so she, she rocked it out. And so Peter's my second favorite now, and Frances happens to get it just a little bit more. So no offense, Peter. <laughs> but I just didn't want you to get a big head. So, um, I, uh, so I'll give you a little background into who I am, and, and then we can kind of take it from there. But I grew up, as Frances said, I grew up in Evergreen, Colorado, so it was kind of a little bit easier to preach last night just because it was in Evergreen, and so people kind of know where that is, in Upper Bear Creek, and I grew up on 10 acres that butted up to National Forest, and I have a brother who's 11 months younger than me who's here, and, and we got in a lot of trouble together up there. I mean, it was, it, I mean, 10 acres for two boys, 11 months apart on National Forest that butted up to National Forest. We did a lot of things that I don't know that we would be allowed to do today, or they might call child services or whatever, but we... My parents were awesome, and they gave my brother and I this sense of adventure and this sense of just absolute love being outside. We'd have BB gun wars. We'd climb 100-foot rock bluffs. And, and I don't mean like 100-foot rock bluffs with ropes. I mean 100-foot rock bluffs without ropes. And we'd get to the top of them and just look out, and then we'd hear that bell ring, and that meant come home for dinner. And so we'd come home for dinner, and we'd, I mean, we grew up there. It was, it was an amazing, amazing place to grow up. And I, to this day, I, um, I miss it back there. But I have two great parents. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is... My dad's a man's, a man's man. Like, he, he brought me into manhood. And so back when I grew up, I always wanted, you know, everybody was like, I'm 40, so everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan or something like that. And I, to this day, I still want to be like my dad. And I'm not, but I'm close. <laughs> and, um, but incredible guy. And my mom, an incredible woman, just, oh, talk about God's love. Wow. Like, it didn't matter what I did, and trust me, you'll hear my story. There was a lot of stuff I did that a lot of people would have just walked away and just said, well, you kind of need to deal with your own stuff, Matt, and come back, and we'll help you out. Not my mom and dad. Not my mom and dad. They stuck with me. They stuck in there, and they still to this day do. Um, thank God. I don't know what I'd do without them, but they're crazy good people. And, you know, my dad was always that guy that was, um, my mom was always, like, I was a mama's boy. I still am a mama's boy. So, I mean, I could always go to my mom and be like, Mom, it's okay, it's okay. Mom, I want to take six years in college. That's fine, son. My dad's like, no, you're not. Four years. I'm like, but dad, mom did six years. No, nope, you're doing four. Oh, four and a half, whatever. I just want to ski. And so um, th that was the, kind of the battle, right, growing up. And so <laughs> dad always won. But I'll, I'll never forget a quick story here just to kind of give you the insight into what a moron I am. I remember I was after my freshman year of college, and my brother remembers this very clearly. Um, he was going, we went to, I graduated from the University of Colorado, but I went to a private Christian school first, and my dad said if I had a good certain GPA that we'd get a car. And so my brother in his freshman year was going to have a car, and my sophomore year I was going to have a car. So we're walking to church one day, and my brother nudges me like he always did, and we'd always battle with each other, talk, and he goes, hey, Matt, ask dad for the car. And I'm like, absolutely, John, I got this. And so we're walking down the stairs, and it goes down, and then it hangs right, and then the stairs there. So there's this landing, and I'm up above it, and I'll never forget this. And I go, hey, Dad, you owe me a car. And my dad goes, what did you just say? And I went, instead of shutting up right there, instead of going, hey, Matt, this is a good time to keep your mouth shut, and just say, I didn't mean it. I go, you heard me, old man. You owe me a car. And, ah, you guys know how the story ends. He goes... I don't owe you anything. And I'm like, something to that effect. I don't know if it was quite that church rated, but it was whatever. But I knew, I knew my dad still loved me. I never doubted that. And that's what the cool part of that story is. I never knew 
Um, I never doubted my parents' love. I have never doubted that. And then we get in the car and my brother nudges me. He goes, I told you to ask dad for a car, not demand it. Needless to say, my brother got punished for my wrongdoings and it's been that way ever since. So um, <laughs> I'm still surprised he's my brother, but, um, or he owns me. So anyhow, that's where I grew up. So um, I went to church, grew up in church, grew up going to youth group, um, went to a Christian school. I knew God was real, knew he was there. Um, just hadn't battled with, I mean, I knew he was there. Um, we had some health issues in my family. My mom did, my dad did, brain tumors, cancer, but I knew God was there. I knew he was there always. And I loved going to youth group, not because I heard about Jesus so much, it's because there were girls there. And as a high schooler, I liked to go out with girls. And so that was fun, but I never doubted it. Then I got to college and University of Colorado and I became this, oh, like pseudo athlete. I was good enough to get on the ski team, was good enough to get on the ski team. Not, um, the best, but it was good enough, and I, uh, I loved it. And um, I battled up there, but I had a great time at the University of Colorado. So if you could pull up a couple pics, and I'll show you guys kind of the adventurous side of me before I take you into um, where I am. That's my, that's my best friend and my two boys and me skiing up in Loveland. And then the next slot, next picture, um, that's me mountain biking at lunch every day at work. Some of those, some, I mean, that's Apex right up in Golden there. I'm lucky enough to work in Golden where I get to ride my bike at lunch every day. There's some people from work here, so they know I do that, so it's not a surprise to them, and it's not a surprise that I struggle either. And this is Alaska. And if you look at the very top there, there's a little black dot, and that's me skiing. And um, my mom doesn't like looking at that picture. And just so you know, that was very recent. That was a few years ago. Um, and that's what I love to do. That's the adventurous side of me. I love to be outside because I love, I think that's where God lives for me. That's, everybody finds God differently, and I'll go into that, but that's where God lives for me. So that's my, that's my crazy side of being outside. So there was a video done about seven, eight months ago that kind of speaks to what Michael spoke about last week, and so I'd like to play it for you, and if you, would, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd appreciate you guys watching it with me. There's no stigma going to the doctor for cold or flu or whatever, right? But to go to a doctor and say, hey, something's wrong with my head is, you know, you come from a good family. You've got, you know, at the time I was married, right? And all of a sudden I come back with this diagnosis of bipolar and I thought my life was over. I mean, and so I, you know, for the first couple months, it was like, I just, I couldn't even believe that that was my diagnosis. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how awful that was. When Matt first came to me, he was definitely in a lot of pain at that time and a lot of chaos going on in his life. And, you know, just, he was really struggling. So, some suffering. In the United States, it's like, just kind of man up, if you will, that saying, deal with it yourself. That's kind of what we're taught to do. And that's the worst thing you can do with a mental illness or anything, right? I mean, take away mental illness, right? And talk about someone who's just struggling, right? Just with a job loss or whatever it is, they're struggling in their head, right? And if they don't talk about it, they don't have a place to go, then it builds up and it becomes something far greater and far more depressing or far more difficult to deal with. And then, all, like you said, everybody has something, right? Some of us just have more of something. Everybody is inspired by the, you know, amputee that skis and, you know, the diabetic who was on Ninja Warrior last week. And, you know, you're really rooting for those people. But when it's something you can see and it's obvious, you know, you're inspired by people that overcome things. But this is all in the brain, all this illness and all this, all this stuff that's going on in somebody's inner life. And so you can't see it. 
I can't even hold the marriage together because of this, right? That's what the thought process is. And you come to Carrie and you go, Carrie, I, I don't know that I want to make it, right? I, I, it's just that low. And, and for her, and it's not just pointing out all the good things, it's for somebody who actually sat there in that low, low time, right? Who sat there and said, hey, it's gonna be okay. There's so many people that, you know, feel unwell in terms of feeling too high or too extreme or low or even anxious. You know, people have a lot of panic. Just to know there's so many people and I hope more and more people like Matt will come out and start talking about it and then they'll be at work one day and they're like, oh, did you see that story? You know, I have that too or I suffer from depression and pretty soon you're around all these other people that are saying, you know, I have this and, and then you don't feel so alone. Do you know what the most disturbing part of that video was to some of my friends? It wasn't that I came out and said I was bipolar, it's that there were Patriots jerseys in that video. Yeah, <laughs> the best, I figured it was the best part for somebody in here, but that was the worst part for some other people, Dad. And um, whatever, it is what it is. It's not, my kids like Tom Brady, who doesn't? I mean, I have a man crush on that guy, he's incredible. But that was the most disturbing part to some people in that video. Um, so now you know I have bipolar and um, it's a, What's well, crazy, having it. I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing quite like having bipolar. And so um, let me read something um, for you guys that kind of describes bipolar, not in my own words. Um, and then I'll put up a scripture here and then we'll talk through that kind of through my life story. But um, Kay Redfield Jameson is, a, is one of the foremost authors and doctors on bipolar. And she's out at John Hopkins University. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but um, she's, she's amazing and she, one of the reasons she's the foremost on it is because she has it. And so those of us that have bipolar really get an insight into what it's like to be bipolar. So there's a particular kind of pain, elation, loneliness, and terror involved in this kind of madness. When you're high, it's tremendous. The ideas and feelings are fast and frequent like shooting stars, and you follow them until you find better and brighter ones. Shyness goes away. The right words and gestures are suddenly there. The power to captivate others of felt certainty. There are interests found in uninteresting people. Sensuality is pervasive and the desire to seduce and be seduced irresistible. Feelings of ease, intensity, power, well-being, financial omnipotence, and euphoria pervade one's marrow. But somewhere this changes. The fast ideas are far too fast and there are far too many. Overwhelming confusion replaces clarity. Memory goes, humor and absorption on friends' faces are replaced by fear and concern. Everything previously moving with the grain is now against. You are irritable, angry, frightened, uncontrollable, and enmeshed, totally in the blackest caves of the mind. You never knew those caves were there. It will never end, for madness carves its own reality. That, in a nutshell, describes bipolar right there. And so, if you came here to hear a guy that, you know, talks about Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but if you came here to hear a guy that said, hey, I found Jesus, and my life's better, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm just not that guy. I, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God's grace, but if we could put 2 Corinthians up, that would be awesome. So, I'm gonna read two versions of it, okay? One is right up there, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever, Paul. At first, I didn't think of, and then I'm going to read from the message. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So I've read it in every version and I'm like, whatever, Paul. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not, there is no way that my weakness is strong. Like it's just, that's counterintuitive to what I do. Athletic, you can't ski that stuff by being weak. There's no way you can do that. You can't ride mountain bikes by being weak and somehow yet Jesus sits there and tells us, or Paul tells us, that God's heart is in our weakness, that that's where we're found strong. And so I, I've wrestled with that my entire life because remember, I grew up as a Christian. Remember, I went to youth group. I was at Campus Crusade. I did all of that, and yet I struggled immensely with God. So I'll dive back into my story a little bit and tell you where I am today. And so um, just to give you a little background, that video was done about, like I said, eight months ago. But you have to remember, I wasn't diagnosed bipolar until four and a half years ago. So I was 35, 36 when I was diagnosed. So I lived, but it wasn't like, oh, I just caught bipolar. I've had it my whole life. I can remember my first manic episode at 16. So I've had it. I just didn't know I had it. And so right out of college, I was a good Christian guy. I decided I had known this girl. I decided I'd get married. So that's what you do in the Christian world, right? I got married and two years later, I'm divorced. She left for a lot of reasons and I won't blame her, but she took a trip, never came back and was married five months later to her college boyfriend. Devastating, right? Devastating. Not her fault, not blaming her, so please don't hear that, but I was devastated when that happened. And so where did I turn? Well, I didn't turn to God. I mean, he was there, but there's this cool thing called alcohol. And I started drinking a lot. And I started drinking and drinking and drinking, and then that wasn't enough. And so there's this other thing called illicit drugs. And there's cocaine, there's pills, there's whatever I could get my hands on, I did. And it wasn't a, fa- it wasn't a long descent into hell. It was one of those kind of drop-off cliffs type of descents into hell where I was doing uh, more cocaine than you could imagine. I stopped that and I decided that Vicodin was a great idea. And I don't know if you've ever taken Vicodin, but for me, it's magic. And I was up to 30 pills a day. And that's a lot, just in case you wondered. Um, <laughs> Um, and you want to talk about race? Like I'm sitting there going, God, I hate this. I don't want to live like this. I call my mom up. I say, mom, I just need to go somewhere for 30 days. That's it. I didn't mean rehab. I just needed to go somewhere for 30 days. And so my mom walks into my house. She goes, I'll come down and see you. And I'm like, great. My mom's coming down. I love this woman. She's great. And she walks in with a duffel bag. I'm like, what? And she goes, we have a place for you to go. And when she says we, that means my dad too. My dad was in his busiest time of the year and I, uh, I said, okay, mom, where? She said, Estes Park, a place called Harmony. 
keep in mind, good Christian guy, never got in trouble with the law, but I was doing that much Vicodin. Went up to um, Harmony there. Well, before I did that, I said, okay, mom, I'll go. And she kind of had this shocked look on her face, like I didn't think he was really going to do it, but I was so broken at that point that I needed to get the courage. So I went to my bathroom, grabbed the bottle of Vicodin, put a bunch in my mouth, flushed the rest down the toilet because I knew that was the last time I was going to get high. That was it. But I had to make a good one because I'm going up to rehab. So um, it was, you know, and, and talk about a mom's love and a dad's love. Are you kidding me? Here's a guy who's broken and they're like, we'll be with you. Don't worry. Awesome. That's God's love. So I get out of rehab. I decide that I'm feeling better. And I decide that I'm going to um, do the right stuff. I always wanted to work for my dad. My dad was the CEO of a big clothing company. And he told me I had to wait for a year to stay sober. He was right. I stayed sober. I went to work for him and I became... I had a successful career before then, but I became his VP of sales and marketing. I got to travel all over the world. And in that process there, I met someone else. And so, um, cool girl, awesome. And keep in mind, I'm undiagnosed bipolar. We had a great time together, and that's when my mania started to happen even more. And so here I am traveling 75,000 miles a year, 50 to 75,000 miles a year, all over the world, setting up distributorships, doing this. And I decide that I'm not busy enough. So I decided to go back to grad school. In the process, not quit my job, do that and grad school. I started doing that. And then I decided, you know what, we both decided we should start having kids. That is madness at its highest right there. Just having kids is madness. Um, but having kids and doing all this is madness. And so, um, and um, I have a working relationship with my ex-wife, but I, I, this is not about her. But she had to live with the guy that was undiagnosed bipolar. And the hell I put her through, the hell I put her through was awful. It wasn't fair to anybody. And the hell I put my parents through, the hell I put my brother through, the hell I put... That's the worst thing about mental illness, is looking at the face of your loved ones and going, they're crushed. And they're crushed because of me. Now they love me, but they're devastated because of me. They're wrecked because of me. And needless to say, um, yeah, I, we got divorced, <laughs> which again was hard to deal with. And so here I am, this guy at 36 years old, been married twice, been in rehab, and I go to see a psychiatrist because I was done. I was done. And so I look at that and I go, all right, here's my, I'm broken. Like I've been here before, I've been in rehab, which is awesome. Um, for 28 days, because I didn't want to leave it, but I had a good time up there. And because all addicts do have a good time at rehab, because we're, we get sober, so let's go have fun at rehab. We're not doing drugs now, we might as well do other stuff. And that's having fun. So, um, and we're all nuts. And so, did the whole rehab thing, but then, so I went broken again, and I, and I got a diagnosis. My ex-wife's a psychologist, so I went to see one of her psychiatrists, and she diagnosed me as bipolar. And I'm like, whatever. That's, there's no way I'm bipolar. Like, that's just, that doesn't, mental illness doesn't run in my family. Maybe it does, but I'm just, I'm not going to tell my family secrets. Uh, but no way. And so a couple months later, in the middle of my um, divorce, and I'd just taken this new job um, of this large company, and there's a guy that I work with here, so I have to be careful on what it, no, I don't. <laughs> but, um, and so I, and I went through this divorce, and, and it was brutal. 
It was absolutely brutal. And then I went to see Carrie up there who saved my life. And she goes, Matt, you have bipolar. And I'm like, that's two people. And my mind goes, I got to get a third opinion. So I, I didn't, okay. There's got to be someone that doesn't believe I'm bipolar because I don't believe it. And then we talked about it and um, it was one of the hardest diagnoses I've ever had because I'm sitting there going, God, why would you, this loving God that you are, why would you torture a human being like me? Because in mental illness, like I read to you, it's not like it's this fun thing to have. Those of you that have it, those of you that have seen it in other people, I mean, everybody knows somebody who has a drinking problem. That's a form of mental illness, right? Can, the, the, everybody has that. Everybody knows somebody that suffered from depression. Everybody does. And it's pure, unadulterated hell on both ends of the spectrum, on both ends of the spectrum. And so I sat there and I'm going, okay, I'm bipolar. And then the next part comes. And what that looks like is a human experiment on medication, okay? It is an absolute human experiment on medication. It's not like they go, hey, here's that pill. Take it, you're gonna feel better. It's no, and bipolar, it's, it's pills that are, it takes a few weeks to make it work. And then when it starts working, it could easily take a turn to the right and you're done. And then you're back down into hell. Back down into the midst of hell. And then you've got to stop that, start a new med. Stop that, start a new med. And I, I've, been in the, um, I've been in the church, I've been in the Christian world, and I've heard the people go, if you just pray more, if you just didn't have sin in your life, this would all be okay. And I'm telling you right now that, like I said earlier, if you came to hear a guy that sits up, wakes up every morning at six o'clock, reads his devotion, then says a prayer to God, every day, I'd be, you can't lie in church, I even I know that, um, but like, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm a broken, bro and I mean it, I am broken. This, uh, and there's people that get up there and say that, and I get it, and I believe everybody's broken, but like, when you go through this human experiment of medication, you start to realize how broken you are, right? You start to realize that taking lithium, which is what I take, lamictal, which is what I take, the connotation isn't very good. <laughs> like, it's not like, hey, guess what I take? I take lithium. Oh, you should be in the nut house. I probably should be, okay? Um, and that's what you get when you go to the, um, to the psychiatry ward, right? And so I'm sitting there going battling and I'm broken. And then on top of that, the thoughts that I have the thoughts that I battle with, I go, God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There is no way that my weakness is, made, is, is, is strong because I want to die. And you think I'm saying that up there, I don't know if I want to make it. Like, I don't mean I don't want to make it. I mean, suicide is a very real thing. And we all sit there and we think about it and we go, oh, I know somebody who knows somebody that did it and I know this and I know that. And we all talk about, hey, that person committed suicide, right? And you'll never hear me say that. You'll always hear me say death by suicide. He died by suicide. Because I've been there. I've been there recently, six months ago, eight months ago. I don't battle with it all the time, but it's a thought that crosses my head every single day. And you're like, what? Yeah, in my head every single day, that's my out. And if I have that out, I'll take it. 
Now, I know I shouldn't. I know that God has something better for me, somewhat better, but I know that that's something that I battle with. It's not that I want to die by suicide. It's not that I want that. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. It breaks my life up if I do that. My kids, my family, everything goes away if I have that, but my pain stops. My pain's done. And at the moment that I'm, you know, we all think about suicide as, oh, I don't matter anymore. I don't, I'm not valued. People, Peter doesn't like me. He said I did a bad sermon, you know, which he might. Um, Bill doesn't like me. My buddy Bill, Brad doesn't like me. You know, I can't say that about my parents because they always like me. Uh, Well, they don't like me, but they love me. And so that's not what I care about. I just want the madness to stop in my head. And the only way I read that to you, the only way I think of the madness is everybody's been to a circus, right? And they start with one event and then they go to the next event and then they go to the next event. Imagine all those events going off at one time and fireworks too. And then you have my brain on a daily basis. It's hard. It's battle, and I struggle with the goodness of God. To this day, I struggle with it. I still struggle with why God, and why, why me? Like, I'm not that strong. Like, I can't handle this. I can't go through another time of wondering when that demon's coming, and I'm gonna be brought to my knees, and I'm gonna be sitting there going, God, please, please, please be there. And I've heard all this stuff, right? Hey, find God, find this find that. And like Michael's story last week, talking about the person who said, hey, in a flood, hey, um, his neighbor comes by and goes, hey, it's a flood, hop in the car. We're going to go. No, God will save me. Neighbor comes by again in a boat. Hey, hop in the boat. No worry, God's going to save me. God's got to save me. Helicopter, the neighbor's up there. Hey, hop, hop on the helicopter. Nope, God's going to save me. And then the flood water's rising. He's, you know, battling to stay alive. And he goes, God, where are you? And this big booming voice goes, I sent a car, a boat, and a helicopter. What more do you want me to do? And I think in our world, we have this big image of what God looks like, right? God's going to come down and save me. Well, God used my psychiatrist, okay, to help save me. We get, God used my psychiatrist to help save me. God used medicine. Some smart people in this world developed medicine, and they don't know how it works sometimes, but... It works for me. I mean, I took it before I came in this morning. I do every morning. Um, you know, I take a lithium or a couple, and I take a vitamin, some type of thing, because my body doesn't process vitamin B, which is a problem for some people. Um, but I take it, and, um, and it helps. But it doesn't take it away. And then God uses people. And I've always been told, hey, where do I find God? Like, what, Matt, find God, find God. Well, what does that look like? Because for me, I don't want you to know that I'm wrecked. I don't want you to know that. I don't want people to know that I'm bipolar. It's awful for me to know that, for you to know that. It's awful, because then you might think less of me. And the reason, and I'll tell you very quickly, the reason I came, the reason I came out, or not very quickly, um, my dad knows I have a tendency to ramble, and so this is my time, though. I'm just going to ramble. So this is my time. So <laughs> I don't want to rush this. I'm going to stay up here a little bit longer. But um, I, uh, I, the reason I came out and did that video, the reason I wrote some blogs, the reason I have a lot of that going on in my life is because I wanted to change the face of mental illness, not with my face, 
but I wanted to speak out for people that couldn't speak for themselves. I wanted people not to feel so alone. And so I was really ashamed of it for the longest time, and it wasn't until about, God, maybe, maybe a year ago, a little less than a year ago, I'm sitting in my office, and I have a bottle of lithium sitting on my desk, because I just decided I didn't want to put it in my briefcase at the moment, and the guy who's sitting in here knows, um, our CEO walked in. To my office, we had some legal thing. My brother's my lawyer. Thank God, if you have a brother who's a lawyer, that helps tremendously for running a company. Um, trust me on that one. Um, one, he knows me. Two, he makes things okay <laughs> um, when I do things wrong. But, um, and I, we were having some legal dispute with uh, uh, an owner of a location that was in Chicago. And it was a big deal. And uh, she walked in and she picked up this bottle and she went, what's this? And if you knew my CEO, Diane, she just doesn't have a filter, kind of like me, but she just doesn't. She'll, she'll pick up the book that you're reading. She'll take the whatever. She's like five foot nothing, maybe weighs 95 pounds, and she's hilarious, but she doesn't care. Like, she's awesome, and I love her. I love her ability to just be very pragmatic and very simplistic. And she looked at it, and she goes, what's this? And I said, oh, God, really? Like, do I lie here? Do I, and I'm not in church, so I can lie, um, but, um, which is good, but do I tell her it's a vitamin? And I said, it's lithium. And she goes, what's that for? And I'm like, why did you ask the follow-up question? Come on, just take it for what it is. And I said, because oh, not too many people take lithium. If you're depressed, you're usually on an SSRI, an antidepressant, but if you give me an antidepressant, that's like giving me crack cocaine. It fires my brain in a very different way, so I'm not allowed to take SSRIs. Trust me, I have. It doesn't work. It uh, makes me go manic. Um, and I said, well, Diane, I'm, I have bipolar. And she looked at me and she goes, well, that's cool. <laughs> like, it was that simple for her. It was that simple. And I, and I went, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? If the person that's letting me run her company isn't afraid of me, then why am I afraid of me? Why, why am I afraid of me? I titled the sermon, Am I Enough? And for my whole life, I've never thought I was enough. That's not because I have great parents. That's not because I didn't grow up in the Christian home. That's not because I didn't know Jesus. It's because I don't feel that, am I enough? Because I don't, in my mind, I don't do enough, right? I'm not able to sit there and do what you need me to do. Like, I'm not able to do that. I'm not able to give you what I think you need. And really what Jesus is saying and my world is, in this, in, this, in this verse here, is your weakness is okay. And in your weakness, I will use you. And I think, um, I think that's powerful. Because we all look at people and we go, they have it together. They have it together. And for the longest time, a year ago, I would have loved to have you guys go, man, that guy's got it together. He knows his stuff. He's cool. He's outgoing. But what you guys don't understand is this past week has been very rough on me. It's been a depressive state for me. Coming up here today and last night was hard because I'm in this depressive state. I'm not out of it. I'm still in it, but I'm battling. And Frances sent me an email on Tuesday, and she goes, hey, just wanted to check, I think it was Tuesday, just wanted to check in with you, see where you are for this weekend, and I'm like, 
I've got an out. I'm out of town. Work's gotten biggity. Like, and I just said, hey, Francis, it's been a rough week. That's it. That's all I told her. I have something else I don't remember, but I wasn't going to not show up. Um, because, just because I'm down. Because I want to be raw with you guys. I'm tired of hiding behind this mask that I have it all together. I've done it for a long time. And I just don't. I mean, I don't break down and cry every day at work. Well, maybe I do, but <laughs> nobody sees it <laughs> in my office. God, why? But why are people, duh. But we have a big company that we run. Like, it's a big company. It's not, it's not, it's got 65 locations all across the country out there. It's, you know, there's 500 people in our network. It's not some little small five-person deal here. Not that that's a bad thing. I wish it was half the time because it would be a lot easier to manage for my head. But we do this stuff, and I, but I, I want people to think I have it together. And what Jesus is saying is I don't want you to have it together because you don't. I'm God. And I know you don't have it together, right? I know you don't have it together. And I'm like, but God, let me tell you something. I do have it together. And to this day, guys, I wrestle. I'm a real person that battles immensely with a mental illness that is hard to deal with, that's cruel, that's unusual. And I, it's, it's, yeah, I can be out there and have fun, but on a daily basis, I battle. And some of the like, little things that we all take is getting out of bed in the morning. My depression isn't that I can't get out of bed. My depression is very agitated and I want out of this world. And so for me, um, I have to be careful with those thoughts. It's kind of like a diet of the mind, right? We all diet at some point in our life. Whether we want healthier food, get bigger, stronger, lose weight, doesn't matter. I have to do the same thing with my mental illness. And, and I'm not good at it sometimes. And I battle and I battle and I battle with that. And it's cruel and it's unusual. And I'm not asking for sympathy, but those of us that struggle with mental illness, all we want at the end of the day, all we want is for someone to show up and be with me. Right? Because um, I was talking to Kathleen last night and it was just such an awesome, I, I love her by the way, she's amazing. And I, we were talking about, and she was a hospice chaplain. And she would sit there, she told me, she goes, yeah, I would just sit there with people while they were dying, right? And, and isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful to sit with somebody when they're dying? Well, isn't that powerful to sit with someone who's dying or who has, who's coming back from a car accident or who's recovering from an awful illness? Isn't that powerful? I think it is. And yet when someone says, hey, I'm in the pits, I'm in the pits of hell. What do we do? I know I did it when I was younger. What do we do? We go, hey, let me know when you get better, okay? And I'll be right back with you. Like, we'll be good friends again, but you just get out of that place. And what you don't realize is some people that are in that pits of hell, it's like being in hospice. They're that close to dying. And I'm not talking a spiritual death. They're one step away from jumping. And if you sat there with them, if you held them, if you told them it would be okay, not talk about, um, you know, how great life is and wonderful. Like I said in the video, if you just sat there and said, it's going to be okay, and held them just like you would somebody in hospice, the difference you would make is mind-blowing. I don't do it perfectly. I'm not great at, you know, a lot of stuff. I mean, really, I'm not good at much. But I do know that I'm passionate about mental illness, and I'm not being self-deprecating when I say that. I, 
about not good at much. I'm just saying, I believe at the end of the day that we need to be honest with each other, right? We need to find, people say we need to find God, right? We need to find him, and he will be here now. Well, where is God? Where is God? I've battled that question a lot. Where's God? Is he in this church? Sure he is. Is he outside? Sure he is. But aren't we made, and this is why I'm psyched that I was at a Christian school, because I know the scripture a little bit better, so now I can recall this stuff. I was really forced a lot to read the Bible as a kid, and now it's kind of coming into play. But I like, I appreciate that, mom and dad, but I think that we were made in his image, right? That's what God, that's what, he made man and woman in his image, right? That's what he did. And so if we're made in his image, don't you think that we find God there? Don't you think I find God and my family back there, those four? Don't you think I find God and my friends? Don't you think I find God in people that work? Don't you think I find God here? The answer is yes. And it's about time that we stop sitting here and being so afraid of what mental illness looks like. I mean, Michael's, Michael last week was awesome. But if you saw him in public, you wouldn't think he's, he's a great guy. At least I think so. Um, yeah, that's to talk about later. But I, I mean, but we all have our demons. And I said that, we all have something. Some of us just have more something. And it's a lot easier for me to go to Peter, well, I don't have what you have. I don't have it. Lucky me, I'm not as screwed up as you are. That's what we do, that's what I do, until I got the diagnosis of bipolar. And then, what happened? My world came crashing down. Then it made sense why I was tortured all these years. It made sense why I'd go in periods where I'd feel so great and I'd feel so low. And I'm gonna play a song here in a minute and then we'll talk and then I'll end my thing, but I'll never forget, and this is really why I like Frances more than you, Peter, because of her insight onto this. Um, I'll never forget what Frances said when we were talking about doing this mental health discussion here. And I was saying, I battle. And she goes, Matt, maybe in some way you're bipolar. And it is. The good part about it is that you know what heaven feels like. The bad part about it is you know what hell feels like and everybody else is in here, but at least you know what heaven feels like, and I never want to go to hell, but I know what it feels like. And it's not that I'm scared of dying. Like, I'm not. You guys don't understand. Like, I'm not scared to die. A lot of us are scared to die. I'm not. Why? Because of what I battle with. The moment I'm dead, my head turns off, and I'm okay with that. But in the meantime, I want other people to know that it's okay to battle, that it's okay to have a mental health issue, because... It's okay for us to have all this other stuff from here down, but the moment we have a mental health issue, this society goes, you're crazy. And I'm okay being crazy. I'm okay being called crazy. But I'm telling you right now, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. It is the worst thing to, for me to struggle with that, but I think God sits there and goes, this is where I'm strong in you. So listen to this song. It's by Matchbox 20. I think a lot of you know it. It's called Unwell. And here's the lyrics, and I really want you to listen to this, and then I'll tell them when to cut it off, and then we'll finish. All day, staring at the ceiling, making friends with shadows on my wall. 
get some sleep Because tomorrow might be good for something Hold on Feeling like I'm headed for a breakdown And I don't know Talking to myself in public And dodging glances on the train And I know I know they've all been talking about me I can hear them whisper And it makes me think There must be something wrong with me Out of all the hours thinking Somehow lost my mind But I'm not crazy I'm just a little unwell I know right now you can't tell But stay a while and maybe then you'll see A different side of me I'm not crazy I'm just a little impaired I know right now you don't care But soon enough you're gonna think of me song I uh well for me it's an amazing song I don't know about you but I love that song it's one of my favorite songs and really at the end of the day we're all crazy but we're just unwell at times and that's what that song's about right just stay around stick with me through this pain that I can't handle anymore and then you'll see a different side of me and isn't that what God does for us like at the end of the day, I think I've wrestled with God for as long as I can remember because I've been a Christian as long as I've remembered and I've wrestled with him. And I don't know if you guys have watched wrestling or been to high school wrestling, but it's two people battling each other and one gets pinned down and the other does. I don't know much about wrestling, okay, because I'm not a wrestler. I mean, look at me. I'm not a wrestler. Um, I would get beat up by my seven-year-old kid. So I, um, I just can ride a bike fast. Um, but I think that God, at the end of the day, wants us to wrestle with him. And I wrestle with my kids all the time. And so there's moments where, I, where they'll come at me and I'll let them push me around and I'll let them do stuff to me. And then at one moment, I'll pin them down, right? And I'll look at them and I'll go, I love you, son. And I'll let them go and wrestle with me again. And then I'll pin them down and tell them I love them. I think that we sometimes think that with God, we're his equal. And we're not. We're not even close. But I think what God's saying and what God does with me, I can only speak for me, what God does with me is I wrestle with him. I wrestle with his goodness. I wrestle with his weakness, or my weakness, not his weakness. Um, 
and I wrestle with him. And I think at some point, he just pins me down. And he says, I love you, son. And I'm like, no, you don't. I'll wrestle you. And he's holding me down there. And in my most vulnerable state, he's saying, it's okay to be weak. I love you. Are you kidding me? Get back up. I got you. And then we get back up and we move on in this world. And I screw up and I do stuff. But he still wants me to be with him at the end of the day. And so we only have about 45 minutes left in my sermon. I'm kidding. So if if we can put the last scripture up here, Matthew. And I want to read two versions of it and then I'm done. Um, So um, let's see here. Which one am I going to do? Okay. After six days... Yes, that's right, one. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, and the brother of James and led them up the high mountain by themselves. There he was transformed before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And I think, if you can imagine Peter up there, like that's not a, I mean, I was talking to a good friend of mine about this and he gave me some insight, okay? That's not like, hey, we'll build a shelter for you. This, Peter's rambling. Like Peter's full on, like, oh my gosh, there's God, there's Jesus, this is amazing. Like, let's build them a shelter, let's do this, we can, you know, uh, and that would be like me meeting God, right? Like, hey, God, I, you know what, welcome, let me, what do you want, you want a beer? I mean, I don't know if you drink beer because you're God, I don't know, I don't drink beer because I'm an alcoholic, but eh, that's what it's like, right? That's what Peter's saying. And, and Jesus, and he said, this is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased, listen to him. And these apostles fell face down, Right? And Jesus comes over to him and touches him and says, get up, don't be afraid. And so what I'm telling this whole world here is don't be afraid, don't be afraid. All of us have, all of us have crap in our lives, don't be afraid of it. Thank you, Matt. I really love your heart and your story. Just thank you so much for sharing that. And like he said in in Corinthians where it says, my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. And I can't think of any other place bigger than the cross where Jesus was more weak and yet more powerful than ever before. That his love goes that deep and that wide into our our suffering and our pain and our struggle. I'm actually going to give you a chance to do something here this morning that I think is a way of kind of coming out of hiding and just confessing, coming before God and being open. And I think also a way to say to Matt and to Michael, who shared their story today and last week, of just saying, me too. Uh, I've shared before how three major times in my life I've had depression low enough that I didn't want to live and I can relate to that that feeling. But just by a show of hands, 
I just would like to ask you, if you're, you don't have to do this if you're not comfortable, but if you are, this is a way to, to say to Matt and Michael, me too, we're with you, you're not alone. Would you be willing to raise your hand if you've had depression, anxiety, bipolar, OCD, schizophrenia, um, any kind of struggle with addiction, whether it be pornography or alcohol or drugs or sex or you name it, food, if you have had any struggle at any level with any of those things, would you just be willing to put your hand up right now? Matt and Michael, would you guys look around right now? <laughs> Thank you. We're with you. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, take and eat, this body is broken for you. And the night that he was betrayed, he also poured the cup, saying, this is my body shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And I think Jesus' way of saying, I am with you in your suffering, come and take my life and live it in you. The dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice. You can take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup, and they're both the body and blood of Christ. This morning when we were at Safeway, um, this Time magazine caught my attention, and it has the title, The Science of Happiness, New Discoveries for a More Joyful Life. And I always like to buy this kind of stuff because I said, I just picked it up and I said, watch, Bill, I bet you money. They don't say much about suffering and struggle and that kind of thing in these magazines. And I, I haven't read it yet, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go read it. But I flipped around just looking for something, if they would say anything about that, because I have a strong belief that true joy, the route to true joy is through sorrow and suffering and struggle and pain. And when we go into the depths of the darkness, it makes the light and the celebration that much, that much greater. Closest thing I could find to it in the first flip through was there was a study done that if people go see a sad movie and it's a real tearjerker, that the study shows they're actually happier after. And now, I don't necessarily maybe resonate with what, why they say it is, but why I think it is, is, is because we feel connected. We feel connected when we share our stories and our struggle and our pain, and when we can say, me too, and we walk alongside and we find out we're not alone, and we feel connected and we feel attached and we feel part of the body, that there's something, there's a joy that comes out of that. So my prayer would be that we continue to share our stories and the sufferings of Christ that we also share in the celebrations of Christ. So a few things that I'm going to mention, if you want to follow up to some of this, next week Peter will be, or Carl will be speaking to kind of wrap up this series. Um, but on September 17th, Michael and I are going to host a, a luncheon where we also can continue to uh, share our stories and struggles and resources and videos and different things like that. September 17th, we'd love to have you join us and you can sign up at the Connect Center. Um, secondly, this class that I'm doing here starting after Labor Day, The Joy and Mean of Everyday Life, really deals a lot with um, a lot of things about mindfulness and uh, different things of uh, ways we can walk alongside of how do you really find joy in me in everyday life. And it's Rob Bell's series. It's really great. Would love to have you join me for any of that. And then finally, um, Matt, and I bet Michael too, but Matt specifically said, if you want to come talk to him after church, he would love to make himself available to talk. And if you uh, have to split, 
and I can get you his email or his contact information if you'd like to talk to him as well. And I'm betting Michael would be open to that too. And, um, and for those who don't know, as part of my role here at the church, I do pastoral counseling. So if anybody would like to just meet with someone, and I'd love to support you as well. So we do have prayer team members over here too. And if you would like to talk to someone with prayer, uh, feel free to go up front. So as we go today, by way of benediction, I just ask you to, um, in the, in the, that our power is in weakness. Boast of your weakness, even in your marriage with your kids. Boast of how screwed up you are and how messed up and your struggles. And I bet it starts to change things. So, okay, God be with you. Have a good day.